are you a messy person? I'm a bit of a hybrid, I would say. It depends on the circumstances. And actually, if I've got friends coming round or visitors to the house, it's amazing how much stuff you can tidy up in those 10 minutes before they arrive. But I guess what I do is I have some bits which are tidy and I have some bits which aren't. In my 20s, I lived in a two-bedroom flat and my flat was immaculate. At least that's what you would think if you came in uh, to visit one day. But my spare bedroom, now that was another matter. The door was shut and if you got into it, because it was a bit of a struggle to actually get in it, it was just packed from floor to ceiling with mess and stuff. And perhaps our lives can be a bit like my flat. We present a neat and tidy front to the world and yet many of us have a spare room full of mess that we hope no one notices. But then we judge others for their messes that perhaps they struggle to hide away as easily. The reality is that we are all a mess. There are always things that we haven't got sorted, that we struggle to get on top of, things that we want to improve, addictions, marital strife, struggles at work, money worries, issues that we are ashamed of and hide away. I mean, if that wasn't the case, we wouldn't need New Year resolutions. And the fact that we realise we are in a mess, I think that says something really important. It says that we instinctively know and are acknowledging the existence of an unmess some sort of idea or picture of how things should be. A balanced lifestyle, a great marriage, a successful career, a healthy bank balance. There is a standard for life that many of us are just feel it failing to meet. And even if we're feeling a bit chuffed with ourselves at the moment because, well, life is great and we're on top of the game, we know that we've messed up in the past and there's probably just another mess around the corner. But where does this standard, this benchmark come from? How do we know what to compare ourselves to? Now we're going to look at a letter written by a guy named Paul. He was a Jew who lived about 2,000 years ago and he, well, he was a clever guy. He was trained by all the best teachers. He was pious in his faith. He was on the up and he was a persecutor of Jesus followers, who he saw as a cult, a corruption of Judaism. That is until he had an encounter with Jesus and became a follower of him. Now this Paul, he wrote much of the New Testament, consisting of letters that he sent to the early church, addressing issues and false teachings and explaining Jesus and his teaching. And we're going to look at just a small part of a letter that he wrote to the Christians, the church in Rome. And this is a, a, a book that's dense and complicated and very clever and therefore a bit tricky to understand. So we're just going to spend some time unpacking just a couple of verses. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 3 and verse 19. This is what it says. Now we know that whatever the law says... It says to those who are under the law. So what does this mean? Well, all that it means is that if you place yourself under the law, then the law is over you. It has a right to tell you what you can and cannot do. Now, for Paul, who wrote Romans, as a pious Jew, he was living under the law of the 
Old Testament, the Torah, where hundreds of rules and regulations covered every aspect of his life. It told him what he should and shouldn't do. Now, you're probably not living under that law, but we all place ourselves under a law. So if you want to drive, you have to have a license and you have to follow the rules of the road. The other month I was in Atlanta, it turns out you can turn right on a red light. But please don't try that in the UK, because when you're driving on the UK roads, you put yourself under the UK highway code. It's over you. And at school and at work, there are rules of conducts. conduct. There are ways we should behave and act. And we have to agree to those in order to be there. We all come under something, something external to ourselves, a minimum standard that we are supposed to meet. The law of the land is over us. It says what we can and cannot do. And if we feel that someone isn't living up to that standard, well, we appear to the, appeal to the law courts because we are under a law and the law is over us, whether we like it or not. But the reality is, is that our standards, well, they don't just come from the law books. There are many other places that this standard comes from. Perhaps it's religion or societal expectations or airbrushed images in magazines and on the internet. Perhaps it's our own conscience telling us that we're just not good enough. Whatever it is, they give us an idea of what an unmess looks like. Now, my middle daughter is particularly untidy. And when our room gets to the point when we can no longer see the floor, we tell her in no uncertain terms that she needs to tidy up. But by that stage, when it's too late, the task is too great and she is overwhelmed and paralyzed, not knowing, well, even where to start. And life can be like that. And at some point or another, we will find ourselves buckling under the weight of expectations, failing to live up to how we know or are told things should be. And if I'm really honest with myself, I can't even live up to my own expectations, let alone the external expectations placed upon me. So how do we respond? How do we address the mess that we find ourselves in? What do we say when we miss up? Well, perhaps you have had it said to you, or maybe you've said it yourself. Well, nobody's perfect. In other words, you can't expect me to always get it right. Everyone makes mistakes. It's a one-off. I usually get it right. See, we tend to look at our situation and our mistakes as an exception. We have an excuse. We know why it happened. It's understandable, an honest mistake. See, you don't know what it's like for me. You don't understand. It wasn't really my fault. But by saying nobody's perfect, but by saying nobody's perfect, what we're actually acknowledging is there is a perfect that nobody is. There is a golden standard, a benchmark of perfection that exists that, well, nobody is living up to. Not me, not you, not anyone. It's a standard, a law that is over us and beyond us. 
we find ourselves under the weight of that law. Let's go back to what Paul says. Paul continues. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that, okay, so there's a purpose for the law that Paul is talking about. So what is it? So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. The purpose of the law that Paul is talking about here, the law given to the Jewish people by God himself, the purpose was not to make people perfect. If that was the purpose, it failed miserably. No, the purpose is to make people aware of, to point people towards an other that we're all falling short of. So what is that other? Well, let's just jump a few verses to verse 23. It says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what's the other here? Well, it's God. And how are we doing at matching up to his standards? Not very well. In fact, the word here that we translate as sin means to fall short of a target. You don't just miss it. You can't even get to it. But if we're being honest with ourselves, if we take a good, hard, long look at ourselves in the mirror, what we see staring back at us is a bit of a mess. And if we compare ourselves with that standard, that other, rather than looking and comparing ourselves with those around us, we see how far short, short we fall. And therefore, as Paul says, we are silenced. We discover that we are not in any position to judge others, to condemn them for their messes and failings and shortcomings, because all of us, with no exception, have fallen short of the glory of God to whom we are being held accountable. Let's jump back to verse 20. Therefore, okay, so what's the lesson here? The take home. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous, declared right in God's sight by works of the law. In other words, that law, that external standard is so impossible to attain that none of us will ever be good enough to meet its requirements, to pass the test, to get the certificate. And I remember for me this really coming home some time ago and I took myself off into the woods and I just spent time with God and I cried out to him because I was faced with this impossibility of trying to be like Jesus. I mean, how could I be like him? How could I be good enough when only perfection is good enough? Because you see, that's the biggest problem of the law. And Paul points that out when he writes, but through the law, we become conscious of our sin. When faced with God, when placed next to God's standard, we just don't measure up. It's like spending a fortune to go to Alton Towers or another theme park only to find that you're too short to go on any of the rides and you stand against the sign with the minimum height mark and you are nowhere near, not even if you stand on your tippy toes. The law, the rules, the regulations, they cannot save us and they cannot make us perfect. But what this perfect standard does do is it makes us aware of our messes and what that does which I think is a real positive is that it awakens us to something or someone outside of us a standard to which we are accountable 
In the last century, there lived in the UK a man called C.S. Lewis. You may have heard of him. He was an academic. He was an atheist who turned to God and became a follower of Jesus. He lived during the Second World War and he was incredibly clever and he wrote many books arguing the case for Christianity. And in one such book, Mere Christianity, he explores the concept of morality. In chapter one, he describes how people argue. I was here first. It was my turn. You can't say that. Leave him alone. Why did he do that? He observed that when we argue, we refer to a standard that the other person should be living up to. A standard that's external and independent. It's not just made up. And very rarely in an argument do we reject the standard. Instead, we try and persuade the other person that we are living up to that standard. They just don't realise it. Lewis highlights the fact that as human beings, we appeal to a standard of behaviour and decency that he referred to as the law of human nature. It's a law that transcends time or culture, and it lays down a benchmark for all humanity to compare and contrast itself and all its messes to. This is what he writes. The law of gravity tells you what stones do if you drop them. But the law of human nature tells you what human beings ought to do and do not. And he continues, human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. The reality is that we cannot escape this law, this standard, this benchmark that is external and otherly. We know it's there. We feel its pressure. We appeal to it when we feel wronged. And we compare ourselves to it and find ourselves wanting. C.S. Lewis argues, and so does Paul in his letter to the church in Rome, is that if we can feel that pressure, if we feel our conscience kicking in when we do something wrong, if we are able to see how messy and imperfect we are, then we are recognising that there exists an other that is unmessy and perfect. And Paul and C.S. Lewis tell us that that other is God. So you can put it like this. If you can see your mess, you're just one step away from seeing God. So where do we all go with this? Well, during the rest of this series, during the rest of January, we will discover that despite our mess, in fact, right in the midst of our mess, there is hope. And that being perfect has never been the goal, and it shouldn't be the goal for you. Because the most important idea that we need to grasp is that acknowledging our own messiness should make us less convinced of our own infallibility and therefore more forgiving of others' failings and more open to God's. It should cause us to stop judging and start empathising because we're all in the same boat. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God's. We need to stop pretending and start being real. My life's a mess. Your life is a mess. But that needn't be a problem.